Good, good. Good to see you guys actually look really good today. I just want to say that I'm looking across the crowd here. Yeah, that's right, man. You ought to feel good about yourself. I'm glad that you're here today. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus who are worshiping with us. Noonan, can you give LaGrange a big round of applause today? We are a multi-site church tied between two cities, but our goal is one thing, to reach South Atlanta one relationship at a time. So I'm so excited that you're here today. Uh, Let me say this. We're in a series called At the Lake. I know some of you, maybe if you're new, you saw that and go, At the Lake? I'm not at the lake. I'm at church. Uh, But we're talking about all the things that Jesus did on the lake that changed the world. And today we're going to talk about something that happened on the north side of the lake. In fact, we're going to go back to one of the cities that we revisited a few weeks ago. And we're going to be talking about the idea. So if you have a pen, I want you to write this down. The idea that God wants to do it again. God wants to do it again. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in the gospel of Mark. And I want to say this today as we start. I have no idea what it would be like to be physically blind. We're going to talk about blindness today. I don't know about you, but I've never been physically blind. I remember when I was younger, my brother and I, we would put blindfolds on each other and we would try to lead each other through the house And then, of course, we would get to the lake and we would play the game that many of you play all summer when you get in the pool. You get there and you cover your eyes or you you put a blindfold and you say these words, Marco, Marco. And you're trying to figure out where Polo is. And I never figured out what Marco Polo had to do with that game. But it just gives us this little idea. What would it be like to be blind? I have no idea. I've never been physically blind. But I want you to know something. I've been spiritually blind before. I've been emotionally blind before. I've been relationally blind before. Now, blindness is not something when you come to church that you always hear people talk about. But blindness, whether you realize it or not, in our society, it's, it's, it's really prominent more than what you think. Listen, according to the Center for Blindness in America, an estimated 10 million people in the U.S. are blind or visually impaired. And you said, I, I know, I drive with half of them. They're on the roads. No, uh, 10 million people. Each year, 75,000 people will become blind. 75,000 people. Here's the craziest thing about all the statistics. Just 1% are born blind. Only 1%. Of the 10 million people who are the blind or are visually impaired, only 1% were born that way. The other 99% became that way. So they were born with the ability to physically see, but as their eyes began to develop, something didn't develop and something happened, they became blind. And I think about our lives sometimes, and I think in our lives, sometimes we do the same thing spiritually, emotionally. We're born again spiritually through the grace of God to be able to see everything God wants us to see. But if we're not careful in our life, we will go through seasons of our life where we will lose our sight, where we won't see the world as clearly as God wants us to see the world. And I don't know about you, when you can't see stuff, it really leaves you feeling undone. You know how I know that? Because some of you last night, you got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom and your child has a Lego set. Pieces of that Lego set was left on the ground. 
and you walked through your bedroom to get to the restroom and you actually stepped on one of those pieces of Lego, blind as you were, and it changed your life, didn't it? I heard a guy say one time, he said, one time, he said, I I think in hell, they're going to remove all the hot coals of hell and they're just going to put a bunch of Legos down and let people step on them. (laughs) Blindness is a big issue. Not just physical blindness, but emotional blindness, spiritual blindness. See, here's what I know. In my life, when I feel like something is unfinished, I get foggy. When I feel like something's undone, I get unnerved in my life. You ever, you ever kind of caught between the, the place of where you know God's going to get you one day, but the place where you are and the space between leaves you feeling undone, unfinished. I mean, some of you men know what I'm talking about because every weekend your wife says, when are you going to finish that project around the house? When are you going to go to Lowe's and get the parts to fix our toilet? When are you going to finish that? We, we live in this state many times of a lot of unfinished things. And what I know about life is this, when something feels unfinished, we feel undone. Mark chapter eight tells us a story about Jesus going back to a place called Bethsaida. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus went to this place and performed one of his most famous miracles on the lake. And in this moment, the things that he taught his disciples through the feeding of the 5,000 were amazingly huge. But suddenly we're back at this place again and we see Jesus having this moment on the lake. Mark chapter eight, starting with verse 22, it says, when they came to Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, now just stop right there for a second. Jesus spit on a man's eyes. Only Jesus could get away with that. Listen, you go to your doctor and say, doctor, I'm having a little bit of a cough. I think I might need a Z-pack. And he looks at you and just says, here, let me spit on it. (laughs) Only Jesus could get away with that. He said he spit on the man's eyes. He put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw something clearly. He saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now I wanna reread verse 25 because this is where we're gonna kind of camp today in this idea of asking God in our life to do it again. Verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Let me say it again. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. See, there's an attribute about God that God wants us to know from this story. And if you have a pen, I want you to write this down. God is a finisher. God is a finisher. He does not leave something undone. When he commits to something, he commits to completion. God is a finisher. When he covenants with someone, he covenants for the long haul. The day Jesus saved you and the Holy Spirit came into your heart, he covenanted with you in this relationship and he's not up there going, wow, I'm just gonna leave you unfinished like a room in your house because God is a finisher. What he commits to, he completes. 
And Paul even tells us that sometimes he completes it even when we don't understand how to. First, second Timothy 2.13 says, when we are faithless, he is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God is committed to something, to the place of completion because God is a finisher. Listen, God keeps his word even when you don't keep his word. God keeps his word even when we don't keep our word. He is faithful to what he said even when we are unfaithful in what we did. Can I get an amen? That's who God is. See, you may be focused on God from your standpoint and say, this is God, but this is who I am and God can't do anything with this. And I just want to tell you today, if you feel unfinished in your life and things feel unclear and undone and you're in this spiritual fog, I want to tell you today, God is a finisher. God is a finisher. And the day he saved you, he committed to completion. The writer of Hebrews 12, two says, Jesus is the author and the what of our faith? The finisher. Jesus is the finisher. God doesn't just start something. He finishes it at the cross. Jesus, when he hung up there and he bled and he died, he said these words, it is finished. God is a finisher. Paul, writing from a Philippian jail, said these words in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. So you may be here today and you're suffering from this case of blindness in your life saying, I'm in the spiritual fog. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. And God's looking at you and say, it's okay because I'm a finisher. And what you feel undone about, I'm not done yet. I want to make this statement today as we start. If something seems undone, it's because God isn't finished. If something in your life seems undone, it's because God isn't finished. If you're hearing me and you're breathing, which I hope you are, and you're listening to the words I'm saying to you today, if something in your life seems undone, it's because God isn't finished. God's not done. And when God gets finished, it will be done. Right? And So if it's not done, God is not finished. And if something seems undone, it's because God is not finished. And if God's not finished, God is not done. You say, you sound like a crazy person. No, I just believe God is a finisher. And if something seems undone, it's because God isn't finished. And listen, and it will be so done that it cannot be undone. And it will only be able to say, God did it. That's how God works. Because see, I know a lot of people, you're just like me. You're here today and you're saying, man, I've been waiting on something. I've been waiting on an answer from God about an issue in my life. I'm trying to trust God through my relationship struggles. I'm trying to trust God. Listen, some of you, you had children and when they were two years old, they were precious in his sight. And they turned 13 and you think they're of the devil. How could something so beautiful and cute who used to look at me and say, mama, dada, And they're 14 and they look at you and say, stupid. (laughs) How could that be? Is there a God in heaven? Right? But I want to tell you, you've been waiting for something 
When is God going to change my teenager? When is God going to change my marriage? When is God going to change my finances? And you're waiting and you're hoping and you're trusting and you feel like I can't wait anymore. I can't trust anymore. I've done all I can do. And you know what comes with all that trust, all these expectations. God, when are you going to do it? God, when are you going to do it? God, when are you going to do it? And I just want to say to you today, if it isn't done, God is not done because God's not done yet. He's still at work. So what's this story teach us about who God is? Here's what it tells me when I read this story of Mark 8. God never works incompletely, but he does work incrementally. God never works incompletely. God's a finisher. But he does work incrementally. And how we finish the race of this life will be determined much by how we manage those increments. Mark 8, Jesus takes them back to the place on the north side of the Sea of Galilee called Bethsaida. Same place. He fed 5,000 people. And it says in the text, they brought the man to Jesus and begged him to touch him because he was blind. He was physically blind. But you know, in Scripture, when we see a physical manifestation, many times God's trying to teach us a deeper truth. For instance, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, He didn't mean a loaf that's waiting on the shelf for you at Kroger, right? He actually said, I have greater substance than that bread you can pull off of a shelf. So when we see this moment that this man is blind, he's trying to teach us something about our own spiritual life. And he's saying, there are people that are blind. You ever been blind before? I have. Couldn't see your way out before? I have. Didn't know how to get out of the fog before? Been there. They brought him. And he said, there's a, there's a deeper meaning to this man's blindness. Here's what I know all of us in life. We come to places and seasons where we lose our spiritual sight. And when we do, we start forming perceptions about the way that we think our circumstances are or the way the world is. See, I've learned in my life a perception problem sometimes is often a vision problem. I don't see what God sees. I only see what my circumstances say. I only see what somebody else says. I went through a season of my life where I struggled so much with the fear of man. I would hang everything on what someone else's opinion was. Well, so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so said that. And don't we live in that world, right, where we go on social media and we try to figure out who's chiming in on what? (laughs) And yet we're forming perceptions and it may be killing our spiritual vision. So they begged Jesus to touch this man. Why? Because they wanted him to see. They wanted him to see. I mean, think about it. Their thought was, if this man starts seeing again, every single thing in his life will change. He will no longer be overly dependent on us to take him wherever he needs to get to. The Bible doesn't tell us how long the man was blind. He could have been blind for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years. All we know is that the Bible tells us very emphatically when they brought him to Jesus, they begged Jesus to heal him. Why? Because he was so dependent on them. I mean, here's what that tells me. People who are overly dependent on others are really people who can't see. 
They have to be led around because they can't lead themselves. See, I've been crippled before spiritually where I tried to figure out what God was doing in my life and and I wondered, God, how am I going to see what you see? And I didn't. And so I, I went to someone else and said, hey, would you lead me spiritually? And God said, no, no, that's why I put the Holy Spirit in you. Because in John 14, he said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come live inside you and he's going to be your counselor. So I don't know if some of you know this or not. You've already got a, if you're a Christ follower, you've already got a counselor living inside of you. Some of you go, wow, did I pay for that? <laughs> no, Jesus paid for that. So people who don't see always have to depend on other people to lead them around. And when Jesus deals with our sight, he helps us see what he sees. You see, it's one thing to see what I see, but I need to see what God sees. What I see may say one thing, but what God sees may be something else. I mean, think about it this way. Wouldn't you love to have 30 minutes from God's vantage point? Just to go up into the heavens and see like from a helicopter, everything that God sees. Let me tell you what you would probably do. You'd probably come back and care a lot less about politics. Right? You'd probably come back and you you care a lot less about the things that everyone thinks is important in this life. And you'd say, you know what, God, what God, God sees people. God doesn't see all the patterns of my problems. God sees people and he loves people. Imagine what that would be like with me for for just a moment, the idea of going up and seeing what God sees. You see, here's why that's so important. When you sit somewhere, it determines what you see. And what you see will determine what you do. Your actions in life, whether you realize it or not, are the culmination of the perceptions that you've created because of the seat you're sitting in and who you may be sitting with. Where we sit determines what we see. If we sit at a low place in our life, we're going to see things from a low place. But when we go where God is and we say, God, I want your presence and I want to see what you see, God says, hey, guess what? I'm going to show you what I see. And when we see what God sees, we will begin to do what God does. When we don't see what God is doing, it's because we don't see what God sees. And here's why that's so important. Our ability to live in God's best will be determined by our ability to see what he sees. Let me say it again. Our ability to live in God's best will be determined by our ability to see what he sees. The book of Corinthians tells us a story about a guy named Paul who wrote the book, a letter to a church. And he was telling them about this affliction he went through. And he said, God gave me this affliction in my side. He called it a thorn in his flesh. All right. He said, I prayed three times, God, would you take this thorn out of my flesh? And God said, no. (laughs) And it's amazing because what Paul tells us in there, he gives us an understanding that he moves from the pain of what's in his flesh to the perspective that God wanted him to have. Because Paul would have said, hey, God, this pain in my life, it's a distraction. And God looks at him and he says, no, that pain in your life, it's an education. Paul made have said, God, God, my strength is weak. And God said, that's okay. My grace is sufficient. See, we got to see what God sees. 
We got to see our life the way God sees our life. Some of us are like, man, I want that job so bad. So we go apply for that job and we go through the interview process and we think we're going to get it. And it's the final callback. And they call us back and say, sorry, we've decided not to hire you. We're going to hire the other guy. And we go on Facebook and we say, God has rejected me. God says, no, I'm just redirecting you because that company's going to close in three months. Our ability to live in God's best for our life will be determined by our ability to see what God sees. And as soon as we see what God sees, we get to the other side of our problems and we start seeing life the way David saw life because David went through some problems in his life. That's why he said in the Psalm, Psalms 1, 1971, he said, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. <laughs> I've been to a lot of people's houses. I've never seen that scripture on the refrigerator. God, it was good that you afflicted me <laughs> so that I could see what you see. But David said, I would have never seen what God saw if God wouldn't have allowed me to go through what I went through. So let's go back to the text real quick. Verse 22, look what it says. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I love this because what they did is they partnered together for the man's healing. They said, we got to get this guy to Jesus. Whatever we do, we may not be able to fix him. Society can't fix him. Maybe the doctors can't fix him. But I just have this hunch that if we can get him to Jesus, Jesus can help this man which begs a big question for us we got to ask in our life. Where are the people around you taking you? Where are the people around you taking you? Are they taking you toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Right? Because when we got big problems in our life, we better ask the question, where are the people around me taking me? Look what it says. He took the blind man, verse 23, by the hand. Jesus did this, and he led him outside the village. So the friends brought him, brought him to the right place to find healing. Jesus grabs his hand, and he starts leading him outside the village. Now, why did Jesus take him outside the village? Some scholars believe it was because of all of the unbelief in the town of Bethsaida. That was one of the towns that Jesus would later curse because of their unbelief. I don't believe that's why Jesus led him out of the town. I think Jesus led him out of the town probably to see if the blind man would follow him. I also think he led him out of the town because he didn't want the crowd to get so excited about the miracle that it became about the miracle because the disciples were watching and it was about the message. Think about it. Jesus led him out of the town to fix what was wrong with him. Because the question we got to ask ourselves, are we willing to let Jesus lead us in areas we want him to fix? Or do we just want Jesus as our savior? Dallas Willard, a, a great theologian, said this years ago, but he said many people in their Christian journey only want what's called vampire Christianity. We want the blood of Jesus Christ to save us, but we don't want his leadership in our life. Are you willing to let Jesus lead you in areas that you want him to fix? So Jesus, he leads him outside and he asks this question after he touches his eyes. He says, can you see? And the man says this, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Let me ask you a question. This is what your eight-year-old would ask you. How did the guy know what trees look like if he was blind? 
probably because he had seen before and he had lost his sight. So the guy says, hey, I see trees and they, they kind of look like people here, but I'm not really sure what's going on here, Jesus. He had lost his vision. You see, the eyes of faith are not in our head. They're in our hearts. And the truth is this, the eyes in our head give us eyesight, but the eyes in our heart is what gives us vision for our life. Did you hear that? The eyes in our head, they give us sight, but the eyes in our heart, it's really what gives us the vision for our life. So I want to ask you this question. Do you see things in your heart that you haven't seen with your eyes yet? Because I do. I see things that I say, God has already promised me that. And I know God's going to do that. And I see God happening. I see God working. I see God doing this. And he's not done yet. It seems unfinished. But God says, that's okay that it's undone because I'm not done. And God's saying, hey, you got to see with the eyes of your heart the vision that I have. Why? Because God's a finisher. I may not be able to finish anything in my life, but God's always going to finish what he starts. There are things in my heart that one day I will see with my eyes. So it begs the question too, Jesus goes back and he has to touch him twice. (laughs) Has to touch him twice, think about that. That's where the atheists in the room would say this. The atheists would say, see, God's not as powerful as we thought he was. Even the son of God had to touch the man twice because he was so blind. It reminds me of a story I heard a couple Days ago, it's about a lady. She was living in a community where kind of things were impoverished and she had lost her job. And so she, she went into her kitchen and she opened the door of the refrigerator and noticed that there was no food there. So she closed the door of her refrigerator and she started walking around her house and singing praise to God, believing that God would one day fill that refrigerator full of food again. And she sang and she sang and she sang and the person next door heard her singing because she was singing so loud and that person next door happened to be an atheist. He didn't even believe God exists and he said, I'm gonna show that woman. I'm gonna go out and buy her some groceries and act like God provided for her. So he goes out and buys a bunch of groceries, leaves it on her doorstep, knocks on the door and runs away and goes back inside his house and looks out the window. The woman's walking around her house. She's singing praise to God. She opens her door. She sees the groceries and she keeps saying, God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. And the guy next door is like, man, this woman's a fool. She's a fool. Steps out of his house, walks over to her, said, lady, God didn't do that. I bought those groceries for you. The woman just interrupted him. God did it. God did it. God did it. She's praising. God did it. God did it. And the guy's like, man, you're a fool, man. There's no God. God God didn't do that for you. The woman's still yelling. She's yelling, God did it. God did it. God did it. And the guy's like, man, you're crazy. He goes back over the house and the woman says this, God did it. God did it. And he made the devil pay for it. Woo! God healed her perception problem. (laughs) 
The eyes of our heads give us sight, but it's the eyes of our heart that give us vision. Jesus went and he touched the woman twice. He touched the man twice. Why? Why did he touch him twice? Here's why. Because Jesus wasn't finished. And I want to say this to you. You may be in between in the miracle in your life. And you may be struggling saying, I know God started it. I know he saved me. I know Jesus loves me. But I just feel like somehow God has left me as some unfinished vessel. And I want to say to you, be careful when you say to God, God, I want you to use me because I want you to take my gifts and my abilities. And God says, no, I want to take your gifts, your abilities and your life. And I want to educate someone else. You see, God could do it immediately, but instead he's going to do it incrementally. Why? He wants to educate others through your life. Think about it. If God touched something one time and the man went from no vision to seeing things that look like trees, I'd say that's progress. And you say, yeah, but God didn't do the whole miracle. Oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. If God touched something one time and we saw progress, but we didn't see completion, it's not time in our life to have a pity party. It's time to have a praise party. And here's why. Because God's not done and you might just be in between touches. (laughs) Remember what I told you? There's things that God has shown me in my heart that one day I'm going to see in my eyes and I'm not going to give up because I may just be in between touches. God knows how to do it again. Jesus said, hey, can you see? The guy said, I see people, they look like trees. He wasn't in denial, he was just being real. And then in verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Let me tell you why it may not be finished yet. Because you're just in between touches. It doesn't say the man asked Jesus to touch him again. The text is very emphatic. It says Jesus touched him without his permission. I I often wonder if maybe the reason that Jesus put some distance between the first touch and the second touch is he's trying to figure out if the guy would just settle. I can see a little bit. Uh, I'm going to need some glasses. Uh, I'm just going to live this way anyway. Isn't that what we do in our life spiritually? Eh, I've got fire insurance. At least I'm going to heaven. Eh, My life's horrible. It's a wreck, but that's okay. It's going to be good by and by, sweet by and by. Listen, Jesus didn't want us to live that way. He touched the man again without his permission. And look what happened. Verse 25, second part. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He saw everything clearly. Everyone say clearly. He saw it clearly. Not fuzzy, not foggy, not strangely, not, hey, these people look like trees. Some of you look like trees today. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says he saw it clearly. But let's be honest. We want Jesus to skip the process and get us to the clearly part now, right? God, I don't want you to take me through what I gotta go through And God says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not finished. If you're breathing today, God's not finished. If you're listening to what I'm saying today online, God's not finished. If you're at our LaGrange campus and you're thinking there is no way God's gonna, listen, God's not finished. You may be finished. Your situation may say you're finished, but God is not finished. 
Because God is a finisher. And just like we sang in that song a few moments ago, God, I have seen you move mountains and I believe you will do it again. I believe you'll do it again. How in the world can we come to a place in our life and believing that Jesus Christ could save our soul and set us free from sin and death, but we can't trust him on a Tuesday afternoon for our job? God has the power to do it again. I've often said this, I don't learn patience in a sermon series. And I don't learn patience in a church service. I learn patience in my problems. And I think most of you, you'd say the same thing. God's gonna do it again. And what he wants to teach me through it is the most important part of the process. Not what am I going through, but God, what do you wanna teach me through it? I love this because here's the good news today as we close. Isaiah 61 foretold that Jesus Christ would come and that he would be the one that would set the prisoners free, that Jesus would be the one who would literally change people's lives, that people would be, the captive would be set free. Jesus comes on the scene in Luke 4, 18 and 19, and he is reading the scroll in the synagogue one day there in the the city of Nazareth, and he reads verse 18, and he adds something to the verse that's not in Isaiah 61. Never seen this before in my life. He adds this one phrase, and recovery of sight for the blind. Recovery of sight for the blind. So Isaiah 61 says, these are all the things that Jesus will do. This is who Jesus will be. This is who Jesus will be. Jesus comes on the scene and he pluses the idea and he says, I have come, I'm gonna do all these things and I'm not just gonna set you free from sin and death. I'm gonna restore your sight. And so here's the good news today. Jesus is still restoring people's sight. As the hymn says, I was blind, but because of grace, now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. We sing it, it's amazing grace. Listen, I believe God wants to do it again. I I believe God is tired of us settling for a vision that's foggy, that's halfway healed, but partly broken. Well, I'm just gonna limp by till Jesus takes me home. Listen, folks, I believe Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins so that we wouldn't have to limp home to heaven. I believe Jesus is still restoring sight to the blind. You say, how do you know that? Well, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen people give their life to Christ and it's like their eyes were opened. It's like they they were blinded, there were scales and then suddenly there was this awe moment. Jesus is still restoring sight to the blind. And I wanna tell you, whatever you're going through today, whatever struggle, whatever challenge, whatever dip, whatever setback, whatever moment, Jesus can remove the spiritual fog from your life and he can help you see again. Would you pray with me today?